This is the I'm Kinda Famous Podcast. I'm your host, Lester Rowe. New week, new episode every Thursday on the now I'm Kinda Famous Podcast Network. You can find it on Facebook, Kinda Famous Pod, K-I-N-D-A Famous Pod, P-O-D, as well as Twitter, but you know I don't really use that Twitter shit like that. So, Facebook, where you want to go. Also, while you're on the interwebs, go to arrowfilms.com, A-R-O-W-E films.com. And that's an easier way to get to the podcast so you can subscribe, do all that kind of stuff. Or you can get, go to, uh, that's my personal website where you can watch all the video content that I've made as well get as well as get over there to them clean-ass people collector t-shirts. Now, about those clean-ass people collectors, I have recently decided that I'm going to come up with a new um, design for these t-shirts, for a t-shirt rather. That I am planning to push towards some degree of uh, charitable works or donations. If you, if I, I don't know, I don't know the right way to hit that. But it, uh, I'm trying to incorporate a charity or a way to donate the proceeds that goes with that. Uh, I'll say this is built around is built around mental health, and it's going to be uh, a line of of designs as. A people collected design, but it's going to be strictly about uh, mental health. I already know what it's called. I already got the design. I just don't want to talk about it until I'm ready to show it. So that's coming up on the Red Bubble merch. Or I may find a organization that can print them and also do like a co-sponsor share thing that goes with uh, the uh, charity that I'm or donation that I plan to uh, associate with it. So that's coming up. Um, maybe by December, I'll be ready to talk more about that. Uh, what else? Got the red bubble. Oh, YouTube. YouTube.com is also where you can see the video content. Uh, any video content that I made for I'm Kind of Famous podcast. We got the I'm Kind of Famous podcast playlist. We also got the Catch These Hands playlist, which is the other podcast. And very soon I'll be starting the Who, Who's, no, Who Up, um, podcast as well, which will be video every time. With that particular pod. So that's coming up. Uh, I had to rebrand that whole thing. I liked the idea at first. I just didn't think I executed it well. So now we revamping, starting over, starting from scratch. And when that goes up, it's going to be dope. Um, And I should say the who's up concept is going to be like I'm dropping these at 3 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. Because who's up? So it's coming up. Uh, as well, you can on the YouTube you can see all the video projects I'm working on and made also on Arrow Films. One thing that came up this past week and my dude Dave the Caveman Rickles, who can associate with me and everything now, uh, we made a short film. Uh, I feel a really dope short film. I shot it, edited it, wrote it in 24 hours, and we put it out the other day. Uh, and it's doing numbers as well, but. The, the biggest thing for me was he was not he it's about him not being able to get a fight um and it's a movie movie it's not like a doc movie it's like a little movie i cheated i don't really have that many lines in it but i think i executed the idea that i had in my head exactly how i wanted to about 80 percent. and uh basically it's about him not being able to get a fight 
some of the politics that get that went with that, some of the people and comments that he was getting over time about wanting to see him fight. Uh, can't wait to see him fight. And then just the frustration. I hope that I was able to put all that, wrap that up tight in a five-minute short film, and then with a major uh, announcement at the end. So if you have an opportunity to watch it, I think the best way right now is facebook.com slash thecaveman316, uh, and you can watch the full thing. That way, I'll probably share it on the Kind of Famous podcast uh, Facebook page as well. Now, enough of that jibber-jabber. <laughs> Got a guest today. Uh, this is a heavy episode. Even though it's a Thanksgiving episode, so coming out Thanksgiving Day, we'll talk a little bit about some Thanksgiving shit. But uh, this will be a little heavier. Uh, someone sent this story to me. And I felt like I want to talk about it, but certain topics I don't like talking about by myself because I need someone to tell me when I'm fucking up, when I'm wrong, uh, or also share alternative ideas and just kind of sit up and do the speculation report. We just talk about it, not necessarily be right, not necessarily be wrong. Uh, we just get into it. So I have a friend of mine. Um, that I'm gonna have to shit on real quick, very early into the show before we get too far. But Hillary, a uh, social worker, if you will, and I think it's gonna be prom- uh, a, a great episode to have her on talking about because of some of the issues that kind of will play in part, and then some of the background that I know about her as well. I think works perfect for this. So, Hillary, how you doing? Hello, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm I'm shit cold. It's cold as fuck out here. Congratulations on uh, expanding the brand. <clears throat> yeah, you know, got to got to glow up on them. Also, I don't know if you uh, are aware of like the rankings, the NFL rankings. For hey, hold on. I'm sitting on you. You're know. you not sitting on okay. me. Okay, I just <laughs> thought we would preface that just to just to set the tone for the for the hour or so. I just need <laughs> see. I told her before I was cracking this thing open that I was gonna shit on her because I was really planning to shit on them shit them them Philadelphia Eagles because I I knew she was gonna jump out here with this bullshit. But you know what? Y'all won. Y'all won a nice little football game mm-hmm. against my Dallas Cowboys. And I said the only time I would talk about my Cowboys on the show or sports really on the show is when my Cowboys win. Uh, and y'all know I ain't really talked that much about the Cowboys this season. So, yeah. I Philadelphia. That's all right. Yeah. Hey, but quick question. Um, <laughs> y'all got some yeah. rings over there? <laughs> How'd I know that was coming? You gotta be more original than that. Nah, I don't. I don't. I don't. You just get, you need some rings. Working on it. We're working on it. Y'all like a thought girlfriend. <laughs> Ain't never getting one. It's okay. We'll see. We'll see. All right. So, um, first, so. At the end of February. Nah, nah, don't, don't even worry about it. Uh, you shouldn't even put that out there. Don't even put that out there. The reason she's, she's, she's from, um, is it, I gotta say, Pennsylvania. Right. Correct. I'm used to like I don't know why I always feel like Philadelphia is a state. 
but I don't know. I never. I'm not used to people just saying Pennsylvania. Uh. Well, so uh, what's the weather like in Pennsylvania? Chilly, crisp and cold. Okay, okay. I mean, I mean, it's like that over here too. But it's cool. Mm-hmm. So this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna talk a lot. We're gonna talk um, crime. But what's it? Sin, sin, how you say her name? Centoya. Centoya. Centoya Brown uh, has uh, taken the internet by storm. Uh, I yeah. And like. 24 48 hours or so i get a thing someone tells me i should do a show about it and i said i read i read very little about it it was just enough in that one thing that made me say yeah that's uh interesting enough for me to talk about and so that's how we got here but before we talk about that before we jump too deep into that um i think it'll be fair and right with you being a Philly person to start with mm-hmm. the Meek Mill situation. Mm-hmm. What are your initial thoughts and feelings about that? There's a lot of initial thoughts and feelings about that. Uh, obviously, I mean, it was a, a hot button topic across the country, but here in Philly, even more so. Um, and in my social media network in particular, I have a lot of fellow development professionals, um, academics that span, you know, across racial and ethnic and, and gender identities. And so there was a, a wide range of responses. Um, most of them that were a little bit unsettling, to me, honestly. Um, I'll preface that with I'm a homer, so i I do. I like Meek's music, but I'm always going to ride for the for the home team in general. Um, and I, I've I've been a fan of his for a while. Um, but it there was like themes across what people were saying around here, um, ranging from you know critical, rooted in love to straight out bougie. Um, and some of the themes were, you know, I hope folks bring the same energy to their PTA meetings mm. or. I hope they're right in there, you know, their uncles or their brothers that are in the same situation. And my initial response to that is, you know, I, I hope that same thing too, but that's a wild assumption to assume that all these folks that came out to rally for Meek um, don't go to their children's PTA meetings or aren't readily involved in their children's lives. Um, that's, a, that's a wild generalization. Do you, think, um, do you think it's a fair one, though? I think that disengagement is an issue when, you know, if you ask any teacher, any school-based social worker, they're going to tell you that parent involvement is an issue. Um, But when you make a blanket statement like that, it comes off as though people don't give a shit to be in their children's lives. And I think that there's a number. Is there a small percentage that maybe didn't want to be parents and and are just willfully neglecting that role? Sure, that you can find that pocket of, of parent anywhere. Um, we're talking about a, a population of people that have a, an increased amount of stress. So these are folks that are working jobs that, like, you can't request to get off early to come to this PTA meeting as easily as someone with a salary full-time position. Um, you have just a whole 
rack of, of things that make it more complicated to stay present and active um, in a way that adheres to, like, a school district setting and what society wants that family to look like. So I think it's far more complicated than just saying, uh, you know, you'd go out and rally for Meek, but you're not where your, your kids need to be. I'm sure that there were some deadbeat fathers and mothers in that crowd, just like but what about at the mall, your, your father, too. But what about like just in general, outside of the the specifics of of school involvement, but as well as you know when you do have when when people do have family members that are in these incarcerated situations, or, or maybe not even something that's so negative, maybe just things that are positive for the community that doesn't have the same uh, rallying rally cry or support as they're giving. Uh, McMill. Sure. Um, you know, I, I I hesitate on that too because there's a lot of is there as much energy as you would hope where everybody that's deeply affected by these issues is out there actively learning and getting involved. Um, that's not across the board, but it's it's neglectful to pretend like there's not. And I, you know, I'm speaking specifically about Philadelphia right now, but uh, there's a lot of grassroots community-based work that's being done by folks in their own neighborhoods um, to make the changes that they want to see. And so I don't think it's fair to make that blanket statement as well. Um, and, it, you know, another theme that came out was this conversation about accountability. Like, he, he should have, he knew he was on probation, the seven and the third, you, you violate, you violate. Um, and I'll always advocate for personal responsibility. You know, I I have these conversations with the young people I work with that are on probation for petty drug crimes, um, and we could have conversations all day about do we fundamentally agree or disagree with, um, you know, drug policy law, but the fact doesn't change that right here today it's illegal and you're on probation for it. And so if our goal is to get you out of the juvenile system so that you can avoid being caught in the adult system and having a likelihood of getting out be slimmer and slimmer as you say, um, which is what we're watching me go through right now. Uh, so it's like, yeah, you, you, you have to take personal accountability, but you're encouraging that in a system that's inherently unjust and unfair. Did he fuck up? He violated his probation. Why do you he think his probation. why do you think he does get I'm or I, I say he does but here, let me rephrase that why do you think he gets this support this way like like why is he getting so much support and obviously you you don't know but why do you think your speculation on that I think that he has so much love in Philly in particular, you know, before this incident um, and now they're more so because he, there are so many young black men in the city of Philadelphia whose lives parallel his and he's speaking directly to them and, and speaking directly to their lived experience. Um, and, and he, that's a very real part about his persona and his music. And I think that that resonates, uh, especially if there's not, you know, if, and to go, I don't want to jump ahead to Centoya, but these stories always carry legacies of, you know, generational trauma with them. And so if 
you're in these situations, it just uh, I even lost my train of thought <laughs> with that. I'm getting too passionate about it. <laughs> but all right, so with me, I, I look at it a couple ways. I mean, I do. I look at it larger. Granted, I'm not in Philly, um, and so I don't I don't touch that 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 nerve that other people have there but for me i look at it in a way like you can't fuck like you know the sis i look at it like we know the system in a way we know that the system doesn't work uh uh the people that exist within the system don't work it well and then there's things that make it harder to work for some people uh as well mostly minorities what i mean by that but he knew and we like it's not a it's not guesswork (laughs) like we know it's fucked up so when you know it's fucked up and granted the average cat don't have millions of dollars on the table it almost feels like and i think that that's what a lot of the frustration that i feel like that's what a lot of the frustration was rooted in where the folks were saying that explicitly or not was like yeah they might be agreeing that the system is fucked up in general but also this sense of you know you knew what it was and there are so many other people that are living this real life situation and don't have the resources and don't have the name power attached to it that don't have a chance of even having the opportunity for a lawyer to present a chance for a, a new hearing um they're still sitting pre-trial because they can't post bail to get out so i think that's a frustration that people carried as well uh, but even parole because parole is a is a sentence of leniency basically right so for him i think as well people go well my so-and-so legitimately didn't do something and he's sitting up whereas yeah. this guy has got a lenient sentence and he's out in the world able to perform and essentially enjoy right. a really decent life as long as he, you know, follow the rules of his probation. Sure. I, I mean, I hear that. There's a lot of people sitting in jail for crimes that they did commit that are still sitting there for ludicrous amounts of time. Um, there's no, There's no rehabilitation or repairing whatever damage may have been done to a community that comes out of incarceration period. Do you think he's the right one for this um, to be the poster boy basically right now for justice? That's a a really loaded question. Um, And I'll be honest that as a white woman, this question has so much so much of a racial aspect that I walk carefully into, carefully and thoughtfully into, you know, responding to this. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll. My, my immediate response is, yeah, why, why would it be if he is representative, uh, aside from the point of success that he's made that, that is rare, that, you know, achievement of wealth and fame. Um, his life is, he represents the population of people that are most affected by mass incarceration and unjust sentencing um, guidelines and policies. But so, I think it's yes, hard I to. Think that I think it's kind of hard to 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 say. Let's set aside the success because then, what makes 
granted, outside of the way he looks, what makes him really that much different when we get upset at a Bernie Madoff or a um, or anyone white with wealth and access? Like, I mean, his 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 ability to get what he got is somewhat parallel to them more than the average Khalif Browder type of situation. Sure. And just, I mean, I hear that. I do hear that. Um, I think that if we step back and look at it in a bigger sense and outside of, of Meek um, specifically is that this is a huge opportunity for people, young people in particular, to be, everybody has their own entry point into consciousness and social awareness and activism. Um, and it's really not, I don't see what the point is in judging what another individual's entry point might be, whether that's, it does, it, that's irrelevant to me. I just want folks to get to that point in an organic way and really dive into it and learn about the issues that they feel fired up about. And if me getting locked up in this case, is the entry point for a whole bunch of young people who are directly impacted by these issues to gain some awareness and to dive in and, and have those conversations. And we have to take on the, and I say we as, you know, a slightly older generation um, to provide space for those conversations and actions to happen. And I don't, I, I think it's dangerous to write it off as a silly thing without, trying to capitalize on that moment of this could be an entry point into social consciousness and activism for a lot of people that didn't have fully formed opinions um, prior to that. And I think that that's a really hopeful thing. I know I get a, I always get a message of some form that gets mad at like where I decide to switch subjects because it's like, you keep going. And then I just switch subjects. (laughs) But uh, so I am going to switch subjects right now. <laughs> I mean, I, I we could obviously when it comes to the like these kind of this conversation, it can cut, it can go on and on. But we got another mm-hmm. piece of this that is going to probably further expand on this. And a lot of uh, so I want to preface this whole Centoria Brown conversation with the that I am. I generally don't pick a subject because of not so much of what's happening right now as as much as why it's interesting to me. What the things about it that makes it, as you said about uh, how we get develop and find this consciousness of a, of of our activism or whatever it is. Uh, I feel like this is a conversation that's somewhat appropriate right now uh with what's happening in current events which uh let me go on the record i will eventually have this sexual misconduct indecency um like this whole thing i will do a whole show on this uh topic and um you know i'll reveal this because we're getting real close to getting this thing nailed down so we're gonna I um I'm taking I'm con- the I'm kind of famous podcast to the barbershop. I'm gonna sit down with uh uh I'm we're gonna set up in the barbershop and we're gonna have a male discussion. And in that discussion, 
we will address um you know this this whole rape sexual misconduct thing um because i feel like men don't and i i have how i feel about it and i know some of my friends feel about it but i think a open discussion uh be, is appropriate because maybe some dudes don't know that they're being inappropriate um the idea of a dude having a conversation with a dude seeing a chick uh walk down the street or at a store or whatever and then they like damn she looked good and the homie goes dude she looks 16 or 17 and they go well if she's 16 i'm 16 like that is uh one irresponsible statement and that is an incriminating situation for yourself and i think what i don't know what makes a person say that or think that um but maybe because no one is seriously telling them that's a ridiculous thing to say or think. And I, I think that there's not other men telling. Women have been saying that this shit is ridiculous for some time. And I think the point that you're making is that men aren't having these conversations amongst themselves. And so I'm excited to, if you're excited, and I'm not going to lie, I would have some trepidation about listening oh well y'all know what i do man i keep it honest so i mean it's going to be a lot of honesty there and 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 i hope it is because i think we know when to not say the dumb shit but um if we're not openly saying the dumb shit and then actually expanding on it i think you have to i I think the dumb shit got to be said first and then if we can realize that people say dumb shit now i gotta go on the journey to to figure out you know, let's keep put, peeling the layers back. I don't like having surface conversations about shit like this because it's annoying when I see it on TV. So I don't want to do that with my show either. But we're going to do it. But also, we're also going to have with a um, I'm also planning to rebuttal that same show with a conversation with uh, some sort of advocacy group and hear their perspective take some of the things that I learned from this conversation, ask them, see what they think, and do this whole thing. So it's going to happen. We're getting to the final stages of it. So that's like an announcement. And I also probably should say at the end of the show, um, there's another conversation being had at the end of this particular show with me and a friend where we talk about some of the sexual indecency things and um, the difference between what is just sick versus a fetish. Um, you know, and if there's a mental health aspect involved in that as well. So, um, the end of the show, I have an additional like 15 or 20 minute conversation as well. So, uh, there's that. And right here is when I take a break and we come back. So here's a break and we're back. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I got these ads now, so I got to make sure I have a spot for the ads. All right, now, um, so the Centoria Brown conversation is appropriate right now because there's a lot of fucked up shit happening in the news that involves, we'll say, sexual predators, child predators, and decent people. Um, <clears throat> today is not the episode that I let litigate any of that, but if you are in America right now, you pretty much know these things are happening. Um, 
So I want to take that as the opportunity to set to have this conversation and find out ways that we can take bits and pieces of that, apply it here as well as have the conversation about what is going on with this criminal justice system in ways. Because I find that this particular story is interesting because it it, it really to me comes down to what you believe. But is a crime a crime or is the motive like it's so many pieces i find it to be a multifaceted piece to me in the limited information i do have about it um this i'm this, curious what the aspect of the story was that made you want to talk about it um so first off i'll say the 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 main aspect of the story um let me pull up my ish the main aspect of the story, okay, first someone sent it to me uh, or tagged me in a post and said, you need to talk about this. Uh, and it was one that uh, Rihanna posted. And I want to make sure I read that in full because I, th- it's also one of those things that bothers me about um, social media activism. Um so let, here, uh, here's the thing. Here's what Rihanna posted about this. Uh, or I don't know who, if she wrote this or whatever, but this is what she posted on her Instagram. It says, imagine at the age of 16 being sex trafficked by a pimp named Cutthroat. Now, I just think that's a dope ass name. But a trick, uh, uh, a traffic by a pimp named Cutthroat. After days of being repeatedly drugged and raped by different men, you were purchased by a 43-year-old child predator who took you to his home to use you for sex you end up finding the courage to fight back and fight back and shoot and kill him you're arrested as a result tried convicted as an adult and sentenced to life in prison this is the story of centaur brown she'll be eligible for parole when she is 69 years old free centaur brown that's another that's a hashtag piece um this was also with kim kardashian uh, attached to this end the system has mm-hmm. failed it's heartbreaking to see a young girl sex trafficked sex trafficked then when she has the courage to fight back is jail for life we have to do better and do what's right i've called my attorneys yesterday to see what can be done to fix this so the question you asked me um i'll unwrap that throughout the next half hour or so i guess we got on this but um so the social media when i say social media activism i mean when we have when we end up reacting to very little information but we we get we move to the main idea but then we also move because a celebrity told us to move um or or presented it and now it's big and i I just always am curious to like, how did that person get it? Um, for me to get to Rihanna, I, the like the two marquee names that were on it primarily was uh, Rihanna and Kim Kardashian that I kept seeing everywhere. And I'm just like, how did they get to it? Like, right. Do we know why? Because this is an old story and it just, 
resurfaced out of nowhere, seemingly. Do, do we know why no, that happened? No, I, I looked into it a little bit. Now, I need to also say this is like days old in terms of how this just kind of popped. But uh, no, I don't know. And I looked and I read a couple uh, pieces trying to figure out how did this come to enlightenment to these people. And the story itself is like reading that is like Jesus Christ. And that lured me in. And I was like, I got to I mean, I got to know what's going on here, because before I talk about something, I like to know. Most of the good facts behind it, so I don't say anything that sounds ridiculous because uh, I'm going to do that on my own, but I won't do it on behalf of somebody else's. Uh, and I'm OK with being wrong we did a whole show about the kanika jenkins case um and uh it was a big speculation episode and everything about what was out there at the time seemed right it seemed what it, it looked like what it looked like and it wasn't what it looked like as it ended i mean i know you couldn't have convinced me that she walked into a freezer or went into a freezer or Everything that was told to us, everything that we saw looked like a murder. Um, the final report of it doesn't really gel with murder. But her friends were very fucked up. So they got the uh, public opinion court trial and were found guilty. That's good enough for me, I guess. But I don't want to do that. Uh, so I'm okay with that because that's the information we had about that. And so we reacted to the information that was really out there. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of it. Um, it was like a real life whodunit. In this case, yeah. it's, uh, we know it. We, we know what happened. We know the events. Um, but the second thing that I thought about with this is, do we just believe her story or did, Something else happened. Did what she say happen? And then that's where I have to kind of get back from the emotional part of it where it's like, damn, that's such a fucked up situation. That's a fucked up situation that she was in. And that's a fucked up thing that happened to her in trial. But was it murder or was it? You know, as it says, courage to fight back. Mm. And so that leads me to the sin, 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 I can't say this name. I, I need the respect. Centoya. Centoya. The Centoya Brown story, the uh, little documentary that's on YouTube. It's a pretty good documentary. It's made by the BBC, uh, made in 2011. And she is 29 years old now. So uh, y'all know I do documentaries. So I'm assume when this was filmed, she was around 20 years old. Okay. So, all right. Now, that's the surface of it. What do you think? Uh, you said you watched it. What do you think after watching it? Or what's your initial response to seeing this whole thing just pop up? Yeah, it felt, I mean, it, it felt a little random seeing it restart. I remember hearing about it, uh, I guess, in like maybe 2010, 2011. Um, 
but to see it resurface, and, and I think you're probably right, just about the whole kind of socio-political climate surrounding sexual assault and, and women and girls right now in general uh, had to do with that. And her, I mean, the story is heartbreaking um, before you even get to that evening and whatever events might have gone down. Um, it's a, a heartbreaking life story um, for not just her, but we get to see, you know, a little bit from that, I think, it was the BBC special, um, really a family, you know, traumatic family history. And so so it's, it's, it's just a, a difficult thing to wrap your head around um, a young person, you know, when young people live these lives, um, and it, I'm in, I'm always going to be inclined to believe she, I mean, the fact that she, she's never tried to say that she didn't pull a trigger. She's always said that, yes, I killed him. Um, and she, I think has articulated very clearly, um, what went on that evening. Um, and we don't know because the only other person that can say anything um, is dead mm. as the lawyer. So rudely pointed out in that uh, special. Um, but that's all, you know, that's, is that truly any different than sitting on the case that you have to believe to competing stories that you you still don't know what the truth is. You're still deciding what you believe over the other. Um, well, one part in the, it, in the documentary, they talk about, and this, obviously this is trial. Everyone wants to win. Everyone thinks their version of the story is right. Um, that a, I believe is a medical examiner uh, said that, he was already in that position. Basically the, the guy that she's accused of killing was shot four times in the back. Um, her story is that, uh, she felt like he was reaching for something and, or reaching for a gun mm -hmm. in this case. And so she already had a gun on her and shot him four times. Um, the medical examiner for the prosecution said that he was already laying that way and it was murder. Which, here's the difficult part for me, is, I, for all intents and purposes, she was a, pro, uh, uh, I think prostitute is a bad word today, so a sex worker, um, and she had a gun on her, so she really, see, here's the, Jesus Christ, uh, <laughs> that's the problem with the, the, the initial statement that was put out, that made so many people respond and I, I like i'm i'm sl slightly getting off of the the subject of her as much as the social media activism i don't mind being activated about something like her case if the information is right if we go into it right you don't have to like after watching that doc you don't have to editorialize it with some right fantasy right. story like you don't have to it's already shitty and when you go in there like she uh what is this last line like 
she was sold she was purchased by a 43 year old child predator this whole let me say the whole thing because i think it's only fair to do so a 43 year old child predator who took you to his home to use you for sex you end up finding enough courage to fight back and shoot and kill him when even she says that they were supposed to have sex and i forget what happened he was reaching over for something. She felt like he was reaching for a gun, so she took her gun and shot him. That doesn't sound like a person like looking for courage as much as like, hell no, nah, I'm not getting killed first. Right. That's a survival instinct. Um, and any, you know, that's how trauma works. That, that's how your body and brain experience and react to trauma of which she has been through a tremendous amount. And so whether she walked into that house willingly, um, which I think can all, you could devote another hour just to, you know, unpacking that piece. Yeah. Um, it's, it's no different than a war vet coming back and being triggered by seemingly nothing to an outside perspective and responding in a really... Um, severe and sudden and sometimes violent way that, that's there's it's not crazy to me to imagine any sudden movement or anything she already said she was mad uncomfortable going in mm. to the, the situation so her spidey sense is is elevated already um and she everybody reaches a breaking point um she details the sexual trauma that she has been through in that, um, in that special. And so just thinking of from like a woman's perspective, um, from a human perspective, like you can only, everybody has a breaking point and everybody's capable of doing that. And survival is a human instinctual response. And I agree with you. Um, I think she's brave for a lot of other reasons. But the way that that story was pitched uh, was unnecessary. In, I mean, the actual falsehoods, kind of like there's there's inaccurate details that when she says falsehood, she means there. lies. I don't right. There we go. False. Uh, this falsehood. This this Trump word. Uh, um. What did you it's think? True, yeah. Um, what What do you think of that book of memories that she had? She talks about. She pulls out this like spiral and it was like just her writing book of memories, which she said a lot of them are bad. Um, mm -hmm. at, at, you know, speaking of her trauma, she talks about sleeping with. I think she's like she didn't want to she, she didn't want to feel dumb or something like that. And she was talking about having sex It's dumb for her at her age to have had sex with 36 people. And mm -hmm. she goes down this list and I wrote it down. She said 11 of them wasn't statutory rape. Um, now, if this goes down when she's 16 years old, like that's crazy. 11 wasn't statutory mm -hmm. rape. Uh, three of them was relatives. Nine of them was protected sex. Nine of them was girls and four of them were prostitutes of her. 36 people she slept with at her age that 
And I, th- I think baffling. she says like four. Our, our, there was only four that she like wanted to have. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like some like that it, she you know? did like. Like that's, I mean, for trauma, let's say, that's like, I mean, fuck, not even for trauma, for, for anything at her age, mm-hmm. that's crazy. Or I shouldn't say crazy, but that's like, and, 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 you know, she was sex, sex trafficked. I mean, that's like, that's a fact. And the fact that like, I I don't get it. (laughs) Like beyond, beyond her case, uh, I don't get it. I don't know how, what makes a older man. Fuck that. A old, one, an older man. And what she says, what was it? Nine females. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, that, um, that I don't know. That disturbed me. And uh, I had a very distinct, like, visceral response to that fact. Um, the, the women piece. And I don't, like, I haven't fully unpacked that for myself, but I, I know that it was there. Um, and I think just in these, you know, it's society looks at older men and young women very differently than older women and, and young men. Um, and that's a dangerous separation to make. Um, and I, that just was a point that I wanted to throw out there. Slightly yeah. And related, but. No, no, it's, I mean, shit, it's all related. We're talking about it. We're talking about it. We can make it work. Um, yeah, I don't, like, I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand pedophilia. And it's one thing. Uh, I don't even know how. It's so. That's her story is so crazy. So, so. I don't even. I can't call it crazy. It's so wild to me because it's so many layers. Like you said earlier, there's three generations of this kind of. Um activity in her life in her family and so for her to even damn near inherit it like it's a genetic thing on top of just all this being that age and just when you listen to her talk in this movie she feels so much older than she is Mm -hmm. like she talks hard like like I mean, clearly she's a sh- in the street, but she talks so hard. Like she's already lived a grown up life, mm-hmm. and it's so like it's it's fu- it, 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 in ways it's frustrating for me because it's like you ain't supposed to be talking like this. Right. Like even the way she's talking right. to the cop was like a grown person. Like matter of factly, like dude, I know what's up. Come on, come mm-hmm. on with the handcuffs, man. You said that ain't enough. We four of us was in there. You talking about we had three? Somehow all four of us had the right ones. Go get the other ones. Bring them to me. Mm. Like her energy felt grown, and it it was so, it was so intense to me. Just watching, like it makes you pause and just wanna like you look at her body language. And her body language is grown. No, she um. Been literally fighting to survive her entire life, and it's at the one point. It's I mean, it's really heartbreaking when she said, "You know, I just have 
been trying to be accepted for the last 18 years. And that she breaks it down onto such, you know, the, the most basic level of human needs that we forget. And I think that people often forget when they look at cases like this, um, or, or any case in general, and are very quick to, and I, I fully admit to, to participating, especially in, in big sensationalized stories, but very quickly jumping and taking a, a really emotional um, and hopefully fact-based stance to the cases um, is that there's a, a human being on both sides of, of the story and decisions and choices get made in a split second. Um, and we all know whether, you know, most of us haven't killed people, but we all know what it's like to have made a choice and wish that we had five extra seconds to think about it or could have done it differently. Um, and so it, it's not that difficult to place yourself in a space where you can understand at least the fragility of the instant in which decisions are made, especially for a 16-year-old, especially for a 16-year-old that had lived the life um, that Centoya Brown had lived up to that point um, and was faced with. Even if we ignore that bedroom, the facts that we do know about um, her life and the moments leading up to being in that bedroom. Uh, that that is like it seems like or at least for me i ain't even really that interested in what happened in that bedroom like it feels like like it's so you know it's a major part of her life but to me a minor part of her story like it's so much like she um a little bit before the scene you talked about when she said she was trying to be accepted um mm -hmm. they asked her you know what was similar to all these dudes that she had encounters with other than the fact or her uh, let me be more specific her dad the dude that she killed and cutthroat mm -hmm. that her uh uh pimp i mean i don't know the other sex trafficker word or or captive or i, I don't know I, I think pimp is sufficient all right, yeah, y'all know. Yeah, I know my audience. Y'all know what pimp is. Uh, and she said, you know, other than uh being a uh men that they were selfish. And when she expanded on that, uh, she said that they were they want to uh be justified for what they did or um. I think it was justify their actions or something like that. And when she broke it down, I was like, that's, you know what? You know, it's kind of right. Like she was talking about the, the pimp had her out there, uh, 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 prostituting so he could buy a truck with these rims on it. So everyone would look at him and feel a certain way. Her pops wanted, you know, to have people look at him somewhere. I did the best I could, which I thought was interesting because, you know, when you think about deadbeat dads and things like that, like, you know, it's kind of like a go-to line. And um, she said about the guy that she murdered or acute, uh, or charged, uh, sent, well, I guess she has to be a murderer because that's what she was found as. Um, 
that he wanted to feel like adored or something or wanted like by having mm-hmm. sex and for her to be able to like like because her first, i forget what the initial thing she said was and then you know it's a trick that i do as well when i'm making film is like when someone says something that seems so surface but you can feel like something behind it you just don't say nothing and you let them sit there in their own silence in that statement and then eventually they want to fill that dead air with words and usually that's when they say the honest thing after like you just sit there and wait with them and and, and it becomes real and that's when she said what she said about uh they're looking for um acceptance and admiration but I go back to like she is far too fucking young to break that down like that. Yeah, she has really profound like insight and observation on human experience that is so far beyond what like developmentally a sixteen year old should have any idea about. Um, what should happen here? Yeah. What should happen here with her? With her specifically, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm ignorant about Tennessee state law and what like is even realistic to happen as far as um, like the potential to re-examine facts or or retry anything. Well, um, but I, I think as, as a social worker, I should, uh, let's let's say this. Let's do this. We'll, we'll let you do something like this. Flex your muscle a little bit. As a social worker. <laughs> Do you think she is a person that could readjust comfortably to free life? Yes, I think, yes, I think that most people can if the proper supports are in place. Um, it is, you, it's in the longer that you've been in that, she speaks in, at that point, um, about having been in solitary confinement for 10 months, which is a whole other, you know, it's been a whole hour on that, too. Um, readjustment and reentry is a, is a really, really multi-layered and, and challenging experience. Um, but it can, it can be done, but it requires a tremendous amount of support um, really from from families and and communities um, that just is not our current climate just doesn't it's we're so concentrate concentrate so much on incarceration and not um, either like individual rehabilitation if that's something that needs to be done but even more importantly um, this idea of repairing whatever damage you may have done in um, a community and a meaningful reconnection. If if people, if everybody really truly understood and cared about how important the first three years of life are, how important healthy families and environments are in the first three years of life, our world would look entirely different the systems we would have in place, the services we would have in place, the priorities that would be reflected in policy and action would be wildly different. Um, and hope things would 
we wouldn't have as many centurions or me or anybody else in between um, if if that was valued, if healthy but, children and families were valued. Um, it seems, though, with her, and the reason I ask that question is, you know, a lot, a lot of times in general, it's hard to get a inmate readjusted back to regular life, free life, free world. But we're talking mm-hmm. about a person who pretty much had a shitty situation before going to prison and as mm-hmm. as well in her more um impressionable years and when we look at her family situation that wasn't the best and you had the i forget who she was to centoria the black woman who felt like you know i didn't know and this and this and that and centoria felt like I mean, even she felt like Centoria didn't trust her, but also Centoria felt like I was trying and you weren't listening to me or hearing me. So when I when I asked that question, I, I know it's kind of hard to uh, figure out all the pieces, but it almost feel like for her personally, I think it would take so much for her to trust anyone because everyone abused her or neglected Mm -hmm. her in some form not to mention whatever you know she has a part in the in the document where she cut her hair and asked why you cut her hair because i don't want to be pretty me being pretty Mm -hmm. or attractive has caused me nothing but problems like that's baffling in the world we put her in a world where everyone's on social media trying to find the prettiest version of themselves Mm-hmm. and having asking her to come back into this when before she went in it was shit and she goes to prison and whatever's happening and I, I can only guess the reason why she doesn't want to feel pretty because she's probably being tossed around in jail mm. and they have to come out in this world where Fucking every version of this new version of our tech world is about how good, for most people, how good I can make myself look. So she has a constant reminder that you are trash compared to what everyone else is pretending they are. And that's what's kind of like difficult when i look at her stories like damn can she can are we even capable of helping a person like that i do and i'm i i I do believe that um i wish that there was more people that were available and qualified and capable of providing the depth of um just from like a therapeutic perspective of just having a place where she can build safety to process um, her responses before you even get to if she wants to talk about and process her trauma, but just her ability to function um, interpersonally in the world. And I, I have seen, um, you know, young people with not her precise story, but 
one that damn near mirror the, the level and type of of trauma. Um, and I've seen them start to to work towards um, semblance of reclaiming their power. But so I do, I do believe that it's possible, but it takes a village and it. Just that notion itself is super threatening to individuals such as Infoya, whose only idea of village has been nothing but abusive and neglectful um, and violent and dangerous. So it's, a, it's an uphill slope for sure, but I think it's a scarier prospect to accept that it might not be possible. What is, uh, what is missing in our social uh, services departments or programs that are desperately needed? How much time do we have left? Uh, not uh, a lot. You know, that was like a, know, one of good wrap-up questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think empathy. Um just under a huge, there's a lot of really, really, really qualified and dedicated individuals um, that do the frontline work, but empathy is sometimes missing from the higher levels where politics and, um, you know, hierarchies come, come more into play and that ultimately impacts the, you know, the most suffering people that are trying to be served. Um, and it is really, really complex when so much of, of the most marginalized and like families and individuals that are in the most fucked up situation and abject poverty are families of color. Um, and we need more people of color um, doing, there's, there's so many that are doing really important work, but to create buy-in um, and safe space. There's so much stigma about mental health and, and seeking treatment and help for it in communities of color. And I get that when <laughs> most of your options are um, old old white men or, you know, white women. Um, that creates a, a real barrier to feeling like you have a safe space to begin to dive into these things. And so... I think that's really important to promote. Um, there's a lot of low-level underpaid, um, like behavior support workers that are, are folks of color, of course, that's across the board kind of in our labor market, but we need to be promoting and supporting and encouraging and funding um, more therapists of color, more community-based ideas and treatment um, and interventions that are of the people and for the people. And when you, I, and I'm just going to assume that the the emphasis of the people of color is just be on to be more relatable to the to the people who are needing or or are you also feeling in your experiences that it's harder for young people of color to want to take any um advice or direction because they don't feel like this person knows um or connects with them i, I think guess I think for young people in this generation, um, race probably plays into it, but it's more accepting anything um, 
there's there's a real like cynicism towards the world and and this younger generation that they've watched their parents and like our generation um like be the last ones to be sold this kind of bullshit American dream. I mean they're they're not buying it. They know that the things that are being forced fed in school is bullshit. They see that the way that the world is functioning around them is bullshit. And so I think talking to anyone kind of in a generation above or older is really frustrating for them, especially if probation told them they have to come or school told them they have to go talk to somebody. It's like um, that buy-in is really difficult to get, understandably. And and that's the job of a quality clinician. to create a space where you understand that and, and can welcome that. But I think it's really important to feel like um, the unique experience of being a person of color or a woman of color, you know, a queer person, whatever it may be that um, is the, you know, the parts of your identity that are marginalized. I think it's important to be in a space where you're really diving into intimate parts of yourself with someone that you feel can understand those aspects of your lived experience firsthand. Now I know I just already hear it and see it coming that they want me to deep dive into that whole piece, but I'm not. Maybe another episode because that's a lot, right? Just just listening to it, I'm like, I should ask this now because I already know that's another 25, 30 minutes. So not well, going to do that one. Um, I'd be happy to come back if you'll have me. All right, now you now you know how it's like. You can't be nervous the second time. <laughs> I won't be. Um, now this is this uh, this is the Thanksgiving episode, which you know I tell you this, and all this uh sad talk we did. I hope by now mm-hmm. you should feel thankful. If you're not in these situations, or maybe in not situation that's bad, that bad, Centoya is probably one of these situations where. Many, many of women, I hope, can look at and go, I got work to do, but it could be worse. Mm-hmm. Now, that's tough. Well, I know a lot of tough situations in course of what's happening um, that we're seeing in our media right now with a lot of these uh, incidents happening. But I invite all of you listening to go watch the Centoria Brown story, the little BBC doc. There's probably going to be people trying to make their own little new docs and things right now based around it. I think it's better to watch this old one that doesn't have any of the sensationalized, uh, uh, maybe even celebrity aspect to it where someone goes and tries to rework the information to make it fit an agenda. I think this is a very non biased uh Mm -hmm. doc i think it comes off very even there's parts of it i wish they explored more but as i said i feel like what happened that night is so minor to her whole life and i think the doc does a very good job at showing this person as a profile and not lean so much on the crime um there's some things about the crime itself that eh, go either way that's what the courts and prosecutors and defense do but i think how we got to that point is very important because it is showing a lot of signs early that something wasn't right and this is like in 2011 when this comes out 
um so this happens early 2000s in her life of how how she gets this way so i invite people to watch that it was on youtube i have it in the show descriptions uh but thanksgiving you're gonna have a good thanksgiving yeah uh-oh i don't condone genocide but i'm eat though shit I don't, I mean, I don't condone it either, but a feast is happening. Oh, man. I, I'm, you got to get your patties, pies. Matter of fact, put like this. Uh, When you go to whatever place that you're going to eat at, if you're a person that got go over there and you see some potato salad or you see about five, six pies and you got to ask who made what pie because you know who make the good shit, this podcast is for you. Now, <laughs> now, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Um, so right now, I'm still thinking if I'm going to add that extra 20-minute uh, conversation because we did go a little long on this. So if I do add it, it'll be starting right about now. But if I don't mm. add it. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm like, I actually, I can't right now, unfortunately. Uh, um, but I'm. If Definitely I, down to dive into it. Well, no, I'm talking about. I got an extra adding on where we talk a little bit about sex or pedophile, uh, pedophiles, oh, wait, wait, wait. uh, mental health aspect and thing like that. Whole different conversation mm-hmm. that I'm just gonna insert in if I do do it. Uh, if I don't, gotcha. uh, make sure you go over to the kind of famous. Well, first off, first off, this is what we are gonna do. First of all, for you, I need to know what are you listening. Two, and what are you watching? Give me one thing that the people should hear. One thing that people should watch. Oh, um, I listened to the new Saha the Prince album today on my way to work for the first time, and I thoroughly enjoyed the first listen through. Come, hold um, on, hold on. I'm gonna pause you. That new Africa, man. That new Africa. <laughs> that shit is heat. Yeah. Continue. Um, and I'm like, you know, every other American, I just finished binge watching both seasons of Stranger Things. So I'm not real original on that front. No, you're not. But you could go watch Mindhunter. That's on Netflix. I watched that. I don't know if anyone's watching that. Yeah, I've heard. Maybe I'll get into that. There you go. Mindhunter. Uh, what am I listening to? What album did I just... Just listen to Division, new album, DVSN. Okay. I like it. I like it a lot. I forget what it's called because I'm listening. Man, I, I, I like the Drake crew. I like the OVO crew. So mm-hmm. I, I dig it. Division, Uh, I cannot think of a new album. I know what album that ain't jamming. And you can tell them I said it. Um, What's that sad singing ass motherfucker? Beach House something other. Uh, 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 Ty Dolla Sign. Ty Dolla Sign. That new one ain't it. It ain't it. I ain't messing with it. So you can skip it if you ain't heard it, but whatever. Uh, this is the I'm Kind of Famous podcast. I'm wishing everyone happy Thanksgiving. Um, December 1st. I can't fucking announce that. So I'll wait next week. Um, uh, yeah, have, have, have a happy Thanksgiving. Appreciate everybody for, uh, Making it this far, 42 episodes. Jesus. Plus, I got the new podcast, yeah. Catch These Hands Podcast. 
We are on episode three now, and pretty soon we'll be starting the Who Up um, podcast as well. That's a video podcast as well as regular audio. Um, kind of famous pod, K I N D A famous pod, P O D on social media, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you can also subscribe. Uh, what? Subscribe, like, tell a friend, share. Uh, iTunes. Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, anywhere that you listen to podcasts, you can find the I'm Kind of I'm Kind of Famous Podcast Network on all those platforms. Subscribe to it, never miss an episode. And uh, till then, tell your mama say hi. So, in light of you being kind of famous, why the hell I'm kind of famous? Who the hell she knows?